0: If I had to give one piece of advice, it would be exercise. I mean, that pretty much is. And a lot of people in the book share the same thing. They have this 48-hour rule. If they don't get to the gym or they don't do yoga or they don't run after 48 hours, they start to lose focus. And that's what I do. I'm not entering any bodybuilding competition, I'll tell you that. But exercise is absolutely critical. And self-employed, I'm able to maybe jet out to the gym after lunch, or maybe I do it in the morning or what have you. I have that flexibility, but I don't care. Whenever you get it done, you have to get to the gym.
1: ADHD Rewired, episode 165. This is the show designed for those of us with really good intentions, but a slightly wandering attention. My name is Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, coach, and speaker. The website is ADHDrewired.com. We know that starting is the hardest part, so let's get started. But first, let me tell you about this. Turn good intention into amazing actions with the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. This virtual video-based group coaching program meets three times a week improve your productivity, develop better habits, experience the true power of supportive accountability from members of our own tribe. Learn, grow, and connect. Learn more at ADHDrewired.com. I hope to see you there That's ADHDrewired.com. And prepare to get your ADHD rewired. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. Today's guest on the show is David Greenwood. David Greenwood is the author of the book, Overcoming Distractions, Thriving with Adult ADHD. This book looks at ADHD through the eyes of the entrepreneur, profiling their success and how many of them use ADHD to their advantage. David, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I think we should uh, start by the journey of our conversations. So when you were doing your research for the book, I was one of the people that you talked to. And I want to thank you for including some of our conversations in your book. And I said to you, when this book comes out, let's get you on the show so we can talk about the book. I think you forgot. (laughs) (laughs) And you've already started working on another book. Yes, I'm working on another book. Right. It's like, all right, that's done. Next thing, right?
0: You know, what's horrible is that I'm in the public relations business.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it's sort of like as an ADHD coach and therapist who does this, it's like the things that I still struggle with, I can help other people with those things because I know the struggle. But I will also sometimes need help with the same things that I'm helping other people with because it's different when it's yourself, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm the cobbler's kid in terms of marketing and public relations. And now in this kind of new life, yeah, I've got to go out and promote myself when I've used all my energy for so many years in promoting clients and other people and other organizations. And all of a sudden, I'm like, now I have to talk about myself, which is kind of a strange animal.
1: So I was reading through your book and, uh, and you share a little bit of your childhood story. And there was a funny story that you shared in your book about you were six and you were like in bed, sick for a week. And your mom just said to you, all right, you, you can go outside and play. And you were pretty excited about that. So,
0: yeah, I mean, that's what happened and I I was born in 66, so I'll date myself a little bit here. But yeah, that was back in those times where mom said, if you have a temperature, you can't go out. And so it was about a week went by and I was the hyperactive kid. In fact, I was probably diagnosed with just being a hyperactive kid. I don't had a label for me, but she said, finally, you can go out. She was psyched obviously (laughs) because I was going to get out of the house for a little bit and I went running for the door. And that's when those doors were made of glass. And like a lot of people, as you may know, with ADHD, we forget the details. And that's what happened. And I forgot to hit the latch. And I went running full steam through the door, down five or six steps, glass everywhere. And I
1: call that my mother's aha moment. So this was one of those like storm door, that hinge on it, right? Yeah. But it was locked and you went through it anyways.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And my father didn't remember, probably because he was at work, but I remember her the next morning when the woman from the neighborhood came with that big Chevy station. She brought all the kids to kindergarten. That was kind of our little school bus. And she grabbed me by the arm and prayed me down. And she's like, look what my kid did, kind of showing off how stupid I was, but maybe just uncoordinated. So And I think it was that was the time where they brought me to the pediatrician and
1: started our ADD journey, I guess. So and when were you officially diagnosed? It was probably about that time. So that was pretty young, especially at that time. And not a lot of people were diagnosed then.
0: And I think the diagnosis probably consisted of the doctor just putting me on Ritalin. I mean, I went to a psychologist for many years. I think you call it middle school now, but we call it junior high. But Mm -hmm. I think it dies when I rebelled and I said, I don't want to take medication anymore. I don't want to go to the psychologist because he's asking me weird questions. And that's about the time that I kind of decided I need to kind of figure life out on my own. It was a little bit of a rebellion.
1: So when did you start sort of figuring out how to, as you say in your book, overcome distractions? Like what was your journey to sort of running through doors to figure out how to actually... (laughs) Do things like leaving a trail of a mess and blood behind you.
0: Yeah, about the destruction. Yeah. <laughs> it probably wasn't till after I tried to get through a couple of years of college. I actually, let me back up. I remember talking about getting off medication, which I think coincides with going into freshman year at high school. And I decided I'm going to go to the vocational school because that might be easy, Mm -hmm. which I think was, I'm glad I went there, but it was a miscalculation on my part. Well, in vocational school, you go shop one week and academics the next week. And that was after I came off Ritalin. And I remember going after shop Monday, I'd go to academics and I would literally be walking around the hallway. I didn't even know what classroom to go into. I didn't know what number classroom, what floor. And I did that a bunch of times. I was just in the complete fog. I basically Flunked out freshman year, Mm. had to go to summer school. But I actually did graduate on time as some miracle to the education system. But I did get out on time. And then I took two or three years off, flipped burgers,
1: washed dishes, and then tried to go back to school. How was that for you? Because I read briefly in your book about some of the real jobs you talked about having. What was that experience like for you? You know, trying to figure that all out.
0: I honestly think that was the point where flipping burgers, I became kind of a manager of this. In Boston, we had this restaurant chain called Brigham's, which I was only bought one when I was in my mid-20s. But there was like a Brigham's on every corner. But I was washing dishes. I was flipping burgers. Then I got promoted to shift supervisor, assistant mm-hmm. manager, and what have you. That was the time where I finally realized that I think it's self-awareness. You finally come to a point where I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I need to kind of chart my own course, so to speak. The other thing that I think that probably was my ADHD and maybe seeing the big picture is I worked for a lot of other managers that weren't able to grow sales, weren't able to literally clean their restaurants. And I knew I could do better. And I begged for a franchise, never got one. Then finally one came up and I took sales and it was a 20-seat restaurant in one of the wealthiest communities in the uh, state. And the wealthiest zip codes surrounding it. And I took that restaurant from making about 150000 hundred and fifty thousand a year up to about five hundred thousand a year in four years. I had kind of found what I was good at. And you would think, and I think I mentioned this in the book too, is that you would think some of your ADHD in a restaurant where there's so much chaos would crash and burn. But I actually held everything together. It was actually in my element. So that's where the entrepreneurship Kind of started as mm-hmm. I knew that I needed to work for
1: myself. I needed to run my own show. And so you've you've done a number of businesses then. Yeah,
0: actually, before that, and it was funny. I was telling somebody this yesterday. I owned a karate school. One of the ways that I think I actually did manage my ADHD was goal setting, mm-hmm. as well as the martial arts, the exercise. I became a second degree black belt in Shotokan karate. And again, this was a very small franchise. There was six or seven of these schools. One came up. I grabbed it. It was on a very major, thoroughway outside of Boston, and the rent was ridiculous. I mean, we're talking really 90s, the rent was two or $3,000 a month back then. Hmm. And within nine months, I was out of business. And I tell people that you don't learn that in school. You don't learn those lessons of going in and out of business so quickly in school. And I'm not ashamed of it. It taught me a a couple of
1: great lessons. So yeah. We'll call that tuition. (laughs) Yeah, whatever it was. Right. It might have been a semester or two. (laughs) You mentioned one of the things that really helped was goal setting. Yeah. How do you set goals? What's your framework for goal setting? How do you use goal setting to to keep you on track?
0: I do something as simple as just a legal pad. I know a lot of people have kind of these formulas where they put things into electronic documents or they mind map or what have you. I keep all my stuff just on a legal pad, or maybe if it's more extensive, I put it in a Word doc. That's pretty much how I goal set. And I don't go five years out. I might have goals for myself till the end of this year, Mm -hmm.
1: 2017, but I really keep it simple. It's pen and paper. So what do you do to sort of keep reviewing those goals? And with ADHD, a lot of my clients, they'll write out these goals, and then that's the last time they look at them.
0: Yeah, I've had very good success with a couple coaches, over the years, one of them is Chris Burlow. He talks about meditation Mm -hmm. and a couple other things, but that was good for me where somebody kept me accountable, which Mm -hmm. I'm sure you can appreciate because that's pretty much what you do all day, but somebody just to kind of keep me on track. But what I found is that with Chris, now he wasn't an ADHD coach, I met him in another capacity in a business meeting, but we just clicked, we connected. And he understood that there were going to be some weeks where I got on the call where I got absolutely nothing done. Yeah. And we took back and said, okay, I'm not going to beat you up, but let's figure out why you didn't get it done. Mm-hmm. Let's push it out a little bit. Man, as I worked with him for a couple of years, But that's how I've managed to just kind of set goals is to have a little bit of accountability. I think it works. So we're taking a little bit of a break right now because I've been doing the book. I'm doing the other book, all these other things. (laughs) But he was great for a couple of years and certainly would go back and use somebody like that. I think it's important. We,
1: We talk about in the book about having a support system. Yeah, no, I think this whole idea, just we should be able to do it all on our own, it's a weird philosophy, and I think it's in a lot of ways, it's an American philosophy, and who does it help? And I know that all the success that I have had... like. It hasn't been on my own. Like it's been help. It's been hard work. It's been some luck. It's been for reaching out to people. I mean, when I first started my therapy business, my therapy practice, I reached out to my the person who gave me clinical supervision when I was studying for my licensing. And I'm like, I was just laid off, or what do I do? And go talk to this person, you know, see what he has to say. He helped me. And like it's asking people for help and then following up on those things. You gotta take action. So What are some of the things that you do now on a regular basis? So if you think about what's in your tool belt to help you overcome distraction?
0: Yeah, it's funny. I just talked to a group of business people yesterday, about 30 business people. It's funny that it was a business breakfast featuring Dave Greenwood. And I said, you know, this very well could have been. Business Breakfast featuring Welding School flunk out, join us. (laughs) it It was Dave Greenwood author. So I thought, but my point is, you know, I did talk about those things and I started out this section of it saying, there's nothing earth shattering in my book. But some of the things that I do, if I had to give one piece of advice, not to have everybody shut the podcast off right now, but if I had to give one piece of advice, it would be exercise. I mean, that pretty much is... And a lot of people in the book share the same thing, they have this 48-hour rule. If they don't get to the gym or they don't do yoga or they don't run after 48 hours, they start to lose focus and that's what I do. I'm not entering any bodybuilding competition, I'll tell you that. But exercise is absolutely critical Mm -hmm. and self-employed, I'm able to maybe jet out to the gym after lunch or maybe I do it in the morning or what have you, I have that flexibility. But I don't care whenever you get it done, you have to get to the gym couple other things that i've learned over the years is learn how to batch things and i think that kind of jumps off a hyper focusing a little bit so for example doing your meetings in one day Mm -hmm. or doing in the case of my business where i'm helping people with pr we're helping people with video marketing maybe i'll shoot and edit videos on one day Mm -hmm. and then on another day i'll do my things like i'll do writing i'll interview people for the new book or what have you, but because and you might not feel like it at 7.30 in the morning saying, oh, I got to go and do this. But once you get, you can't stop. And I think that is somewhat of a form of hyper focus. You get in the zone and I have to get in the zone.
1: Well, I think when you have batching on a sort of routine, when like Tuesday is this day, Wednesday is this day, over time, your brain starts to recognize that it doesn't have to use as much executive functioning in order to sort of kick your brain into that mode. Well, I'm a big fan, fan of batching. There's been certain things that I've tried to sort of back that I've struggled with actually implementing things that like are those sort of important stuff, the things that are boring but important, you know, like going through that your paper, inbox, filing, those administrative tasks that you got to take care of. And, you know, so things like every Friday. But what about... On that Friday, my brain is just somewhere else, and I'm just like, I look at that 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 inbox, and I'm like, that inbox looks like Hercules, and it looks like, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's like, I don't think I can do that today. And then, so if you're only doing like that once a week, and then, you know, you hope that the next Friday that comes around, your your brain's cooperating. So I find that things that you enjoy work work really well batching. It's the things that you don't enjoy that you know you need to be doing on a regular basis. For me, I find I need to sort of engage with those things more frequently. Have you had a similar experience? Yeah, I mean, nobody likes their accounting. I joke that I'm literally the guy with the
0: shoebox. <laughs> it's just, I'm lucky enough to not have a complicated business. I mean, I'm basically charging for my time. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a lot of expenses. I have an office, you know, you got heat, you got rent, you got insurance, things like that. I don't have any payroll anymore. So my accounting is, yeah, one of those things where, I mean, it'll go weeks. Actually it's gone months, <laughs> but when I do get to it, I shut down. I put it all on the conference table. I shut down, and maybe it takes a day to clean up my mess, and I'm pissed off at myself.
1: <laughs> the whole day. And you swear you're never going to do this again, and then you the repeat. the last
0: time, and exactly, and then you know January comes, and I make another pile for the following year. But yeah, I do agree. I don't know whether it was you or somebody else. It might have been you that suggested I interview Dr. Timothy Pischel. Yes. And he wrote The Procrastination Puzzle. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I've talked to groups since I've come out with the book. And I said, you know, you're going to hate what I'm going to say. But I think it's kind of true is, you know, when you don't want to do something, just getting started is the way to do it. And you actually do finally, eventually get in the zone and want to see that task completion. And some people roll their eyes and say, yeah, that's easy for you to say. I'm like, well, no, it's not. But I have found it since interviewing him that that is true. I force myself to say, I get in the office, I get my coffee. I don't want to do this today, but I have to do it and so, it's going to get done.
1: So I agree with you. I think there's a nuance, though, that is really impressive with ADHD. Because I think when we hear that we're just, you know, just get started, you know, it should have implies that it's easy. And what I like to say yeah. is get started anyways. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, cause yet you know, in, in, on my podcast, every episode you hear starting is the hardest part. So let's get started. Right. Yeah, yeah. So cause it's true. Like, once you get started. So I think this idea that when people are, receive that feedback, well, just to get started, I think people then hear, like, well, you don't know how hard it is. And so if that's what you hear when someone says to you, just get started. Add that comma anyways. So acknowledge that it's hard. Acknowledge that it sucks to get started. But like so this idea of, OK, so you have three hours of work you really don't want to do. Commit to starting to commit to five minutes, right? Yeah. Like Often, it's just like getting initially engaged. And then it's like, oh, I don't know why I was waiting so long. It wasn't so bad.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. It's not even for somebody without ADHD who just maybe they're in a job that they don't like or they have parts of the job they don't like. Maybe they're in sales. They hate the paperwork. I get it. That's why I say you're not going to like what I have to say. (laughs) At its core, I find it to be true is that you've got to find a way to get started anyway.
1: (laughs) And I was mentioning this before we hit record. We're getting ready to move. We're not hoarders we have some hoarding tendencies where right. like that word of just in case or we might need it one day, like that comes out of our mouth way too often. and I'm becoming more and more aware of that and I'm starting to really get better at dealing with that. And so I'm in my basement trying to sort try of figure out, right, what are we donating? What am I going to try to sell? What, what's going to come with? So I just grab an item and then grab another item, say, is this a similar kind of item? So if it is, I'm going to put it in the box with it. If it's not, I'm going to put it in another box. And like after you sort of move some things around you start to see okay this is going to be the box where this stuff goes oh i can see the floor right This Is awesome. <laughs> and I've been doing this 31-day challenge. Every day of the month you do declutter one item. And I've been doing this for by boxes and items. And it's like it's taken now, it's we're recording this on March 24th. So it's taken most of the month to actually see like my basement starting to like come together. Like you know that feeling of like where you're working so hard and stuff, but it doesn't but then you look at what you've done and you're like, what have I done? It doesn't look yeah. like I've done anything. I just move stuff around. (laughs) So, yeah, so just getting started or getting started anyways. What are some of the other things that help you with overcoming distraction?
0: You know, I mentioned the exercise. I'm not a big traditional meditation person, Mm -hmm. but when the weather permits, there's a lake by my house. It's about two and a half miles. It's actually a reservoir. It's completely quiet up there. It's buried within the woods, and I'll try and do that loop. Before I go back, back home from the office, that is my form of meditation. And I have to tell you that, that if you you do get in the proper mindset, you know, I'll do that loop. By the time I get back to the gate in my car, not only am I relaxed, but I've also got a bunch more ideas or I've sorted something out, or maybe I've practiced a speech that I just couldn't do in my office because I felt weird about it. That's another thing that, that I do again, being self-aware just really trying hard to be self-aware. I know some people with ADHD, for example, don't have a filter. (laughs) Maybe something comes out of their mouth. (laughs) I've tried very hard over the years to not control that, but to be more aware of it. When I own the restaurant, I think some people with ADHD have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. That's what I felt as well. They have something to prove. Maybe it goes back to bad report cards. I got bullied. I I had all that stuff. But in the restaurant, when somebody would ask me something stupid, like, is the tuna fish fresh today? I I couldn't help myself. (laughs) Okay, And I had to come up with some wise-ass comment. And some people around me, sometimes my wife, where she goes, I can't believe you just said that. She goes, he doesn't know you just busted his ass. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> I've learned to control the the wise cracking part of me. I just kind of keep it under my breath. So, and again, I think you talk to a lot of people as well that focus on your strengths and push off your weaknesses. Now, I don't have any employees anymore, so I do have to, you know, file the receipts and all that stuff. But as I transition. And I don't know how long it's going to take, but you know, I'm writing another book. As I transition into possibly a new life, I've learned to maybe take on the clients that I know I can be very successful at and maybe tell other clients that, you know what, I can't do this piece of it anymore and this is what I can do for you. I think that's incredibly important because mm-hmm. I think... Uh, not only does it bog you down, but I think it gives you a sense of anger when you're doing something you don't like.
1: Absolutely. I I very much agree with it. And and that it's a book that I mentioned on the podcast before, The One Thing. Are you familiar with that one? I've heard of it, yeah. It's just the idea of like, when you reduce the number of things you're focusing on to really focus on the thing that's going to make really everything else easier, like the multiplying principle, it really... Gets kicked into full gear there, you know. So instead of doing a little bit of this that you're okay with doing, you, know, you can take it or leave it, and doing some of that because it's bringing a little bit of money in, you know. Although there's this is one project you really like doing, you can do a good job of that. Instead of just focusing on that project, you take all of it and You spread yourself too thin. Where it's like, all right, how do I get more of the projects of those that I really love to do? Because that also fulfills you, and you can also develop systems around that, so you're not having to reinvent the wheel for every sort of project, right?
0: Yeah, and I think in terms of my business, how it's changed, and it's funny, I interviewed somebody for the next book who pretty much had a similar thing, is there was a time where I liked putting out fires. I got a thrill out of it. Yeah. Actually, my first client, when I went out on my own 12 years ago, was a big real estate company and they said, our difference is we literally take out the trash for the clients. Now they're making million, two $2 million commissions when they sign a deal to put a big company into a building or, you know, they're basically a broker. And I kind of took that philosophy, I'm going to help this client get on TV, I'm going to help them get in a nice daily newspaper, but you know what, you need your website updated, Oh, you need to update your social media. But over time, that started to to grind at me. And to be honest with you, that's what kind of prompted me to write the book, is because the PR industry back when I signed up for this gig was helping people get on TV newspapers. Yeah. Maybe it did an occasional email newsletter and here comes Facebook and Twitter and the 25 other social network that the client says, you got to do this, you got to do that. And now I'm doing 10 or 15 different things mm-hmm. and I'm all over the place. And I'm like, how do other entrepreneurs do this? Maybe it's not a PR, but how do they maintain their focus and grow their businesses and, and have a good life when, all these things are just firing around them. And I, and I literally just got tired of doing
1: 25 different specialties. You can't do it. So it sounds like instead of trying to figure out how to do this, you decided to reach out to all the ADHD sort of entrepreneurs and, and, and specialists, pick their brain, tell them that you're going to put them in a book, get free advice for it, and then write about it.
0: Well, essentially, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't or will never claim to be an ADHD expert. I think I'm more the storyteller. Yeah. And I was fortunate to have, of course, yourself and other people, but just people in business that said, yeah, you know what? This is a good thing you're doing. I've never seen a book that has looked at it through the eyes of people like us. And I want to help other people. I mean, you know, the chief of staff to the mayor of Boston was in the book. I mean, he's got a very prominent role within the city and he's come out and said, I have ADHD. He's, He's, as Brene Brown says, he's he's owned his story, and I and that's what I congratulate these people. Do, do you know Brene Brown? No.
1: <laughs> I think I'm going like, to change either my intro or my outro just to re- say it on a repeated basis. Just on the rare chance that Brene Brown or someone she knows is listening to the podcast, like
0: well, I'll, I will tell you if she's listening, I have reached out to her for the next book, just for that concept of, of she hasn't answered me back yet. So,
1: <laughs> so we're we're in the same boat then on that. I'm at. <laughs> but, Good luck to but, you. Yeah.
0: But I think that, you know, she comes up with an, when I clicked send and sent that 200 page book to the publisher, you know, right after that, I'm like, what the hell did I just do? I'm 50 years old. I've got friends. I got yeah, I'm going to joke about being ADD, but I've never actually come out and said, wow, I flunked out of high school. I barely got through three years of college you know what, I'm 50. I got nothing to hide anymore. I've had a good life.
1: Awesome. What I want to do right now, we're going to take a quick break. Definitely want to share a little bit more about your book, Overcoming Distractions Thriving with Adult ADHD. When we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit more about your next project. Sure. All right. And we will be right back. You can support ADHD Rewired by becoming a monthly donor over at Patreon. For over three years, I've released new episodes every week, and I still haven't missed a week. At the time of this recording, there's over 165 episodes available to you right now, completely free. But these podcasts aren't free to produce. They take a lot of time, and that's with a team of editors who help with all the post-production. I spent about 10 weeks recently editing and uploading the videos from the interviews to YouTube, but I had to cut back on that over the last few weeks due to time constraints. I'd love to continue to provide those video interviews, but for me to do that, I'm going to need to get a video editor who can split up the interviews, into shorter clips or segments for you. Now, if you've been enjoying this podcast and you've attended the webinars and other live events, if you've been a member of our free community on Facebook, what's that worth to you? You can decide that for yourself. Maybe it's worth a buck or three bucks, five or ten bucks a month. I've set up some rewards for monthly donors at Patreon. If you contribute just five bucks a month, you'll have access to webinar replays that are not available anywhere else. And because I'm just getting started on Patreon, I'd actually be open to hear what kinds of rewards you would really like. So help me hit our first goal of $1,400, which will go to replenish the Awesome Pants Scholarship Fund to help provide financial assistance to one or two listeners who would really like to join our next group coaching sessions but can't do it without some help. And we can make that happen with your help. If just 280 listeners gave $5 a month, or 100 listeners gave three bucks a month, we can provide a full scholarship or two partial scholarships in under four months. Don't check my math, but I'm pretty sure that worked out. If you value this podcast, if you've told others about this podcast, if this podcast has helped you know that you're not alone, how often have you said, me too, while listening to this podcast? Join us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash ADHD Rewired. That's P-A-T-R-E like Rewired, O-N dot com slash ADHD Rewired. And thanks. Do you have a question about productivity or ADHD that you'd like me to answer? Do you have a topic you want to talk to me about? Join us every second Tuesday of the month at 1230 p.m. Central Time for an hour of live Q&A. To register, go to erictibbers.com slash events. You can ask me questions live on video or enter it in a Q&A box during the event or submit your questions ahead of time. Your questions may be heard on an upcoming episode. To confirm dates and times and to register, go to erictibberscom slash events. See you there. <laughs> All right, we are back with... David Greenwood, author of Overcoming Distraction, and he's now also writing a new book. Before we get into that, is there anything else you wanted to, to talk about in your, your writing of this book that you want people to sort of know about? I know that you've interviewed a lot of people, many of which have been on this podcast, and Ryan McRae was in here, the other Person's name who I wanted to mention is now locked in that part of my brain where names get locked. <laughs> <Honestly>. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Brendan Mahan. Um, and I think yep. I even said his name right. Jonathan Carroll is in here. He was on the podcast. Uh, Dr. Pitchell is in here. So a lot of people that you guys have, have heard about. So I would definitely uh, check out. It's it's if you like storytelling, like it's a great it's a great book because you share people's stories and and their strategies and the things that work for them. And I like it a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, a couple things that I would like people to know, as we just discussed before the break is uh, I think, you know, you got to kind of own yourself. I mean, I know there's there's some people out there that said never tell, you know, you're going for a job, never tell an employer you have ADHD. Maybe it comes out later. That's fine. But I think you've got to become comfortable who you are. You don't want to be sitting there when you're 70, 75 saying, wow, I just, you know, I was never really, True to myself or or my friends, I, I think that's important, and I think I've proven over the past couple of months that can be a benefit. So people have actually go, "Wow, you published a book." I'm like, "Yeah, I have no idea how I did it, but, <laughs> but I did it." You know, the other thing, and I'll jump around, and I think stuck out in me is that uh, you know it's okay to take risks. Don't ram your business or your family into the ground where you get to the point where you're living under a bridge. But I think you're talking about the entrepreneur. I mean, businesses only grow if you take risks. Yeah. And, and as long, again, as you don't lose a ton of money, or employees, or reputation, if if a particular project, or maybe you're reaching out to another vertical market for product or service, maybe you learn something. And I think that's uh, that's kind of street smart market research, if if you want to call it that. Isn't the that an, isn't is,
1: the name of your PR company? Yeah, it was. That's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> As as I
0: rebrand my life again, (laughs) yeah. Well, you know, it's every ten years. But you know, and and
1: that's—I think this whole idea of this is why I love the idea of of rewired. It's like it's trying different things to make new connections. You know, it's—it's not like wire harder. It's rewired. It's you know reinvent, rediscover, recreate. You know, it's to create something new out of what we've already experienced. So it's about creating wisdom. I think.
0: Yeah, I think so. And again, just going back to you are who you are. You're not going to change who you are. Right. Are you going to be more self-aware? But you have ADHD. I don't care if you're 70 years old. And that's the other thing that I, in the process, I talked to somebody, oh I, wrote about, oh, I had ADHD as a kid. You kind of still have it. Maybe. Yeah. Most likely. Yeah. Yeah. So ADHD people, in my opinion, are never bored. So I'm giving you permission to daydream. I mean, you can sit in your deck for hours, have a beer, have a cup of coffee, you know, daydream, because look at all the technology that we have, you know, the cell phone, the iPhone, you can't tell me that those inventions didn't come from somebody daydreaming. And I think daydreaming leads to, you know, ideas and ideas lead to innovation. And I think it's totally cool for, you know, as long as you're not, you know, not, not doing your job, but I, I think don't beat yourself up if you're just going to sit there and daydream. I'm never bored.
1: Yeah. It, you, you find what stimulates your mind and, and you focus, your attention there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, let's talk about your next project. Sure. So
0: the next project, and I do not have a title for it yet, but it is actually, I guess i call it a career manual for people with ADHD. So it can be, Whether you're getting out of high school, getting out of college, or you're like myself, you're 50 years old and you've decided that you need to make a change and you just don't know how to do it. As as I mentioned, I was a welder, I owned a karate school, I was a cook, I uh, owned a restaurant, I worked for Special Olympics. I learned how to shoot and edit video for clients. So I feel somewhat qualified to write about career changes, what I've learned. So it's a combination of, again, telling people stories. So I've been interviewing people lately about their stories and also just the mechanics of, so I'm, I'm talking to people in human resources or job recruiters. So it's everything from inspiring people to say, yeah, you know what? It's time to make a career change. Here's the things I learned when I change from being a software developer to a photographer and then here's what the recruiter wants to see when you come to them and and you've had eight jobs over the past seven years. How do you explain that? That's what I'm going for in the book is how to help somebody manage their career. And I've talked to people and some people say it's basic is making a list of what you're good at, what you're not good, what you're passionate about, what you hate. But I think it's deeper than that. I did some work for a nonprofit out here in Massachusetts, and they're called Employment Options. And they help people who have had various types of mental illness. Maybe it's depression, maybe it was a breakdown. but. The reason they call themselves employment options is because at the core of us, I think, is a job and a a meaning and a purpose in life. And a lot of us revolve that purpose around what we do for work. So I want to get a little deeper into what does this job or career mean to somebody and, and how does that help you thrive? How do you manage your ADHD with it? How do you get that job? How do you contribute your gifts of ADHD into your next career, and it could be entrepreneurship. It could be working for somebody else.
1: So, you know, one of the uh, one of the things that comes up often uh, in, in my uh, group sessions is that if someone who's employed and has a lot of sort of self consciousness about their time efficiency, and then is developing strategies that are helping them be more efficient with their work, and then is talking to their their boss about maybe some, some other sort of ways of going about their workflow. Then they get to this point where they really are doing fairly efficient work, but they're in a system that is not designed for them to be successful. Yeah. And, I, and I just see how demoralizing that is because then there's still this belief, well is, is it just me or is it work environment that I'm in? You know, do I jump ship? do I try to get another job? do I and so I see those kind of things happen so, so frequently what, where people are struggling and because they're misfit in the job that they're in. Is that one of the things that you're exploring in the book?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it's not a good fit for anybody, that's just a recipe for disaster. and I think too many of us. <laughs> stay in a situation far too long yeah. anger and that comes out in other ways and then your personal life fails and and all these things that kind of cascade from that because you spend a good chunk of your day working for somebody or, or doing something and, you know i talked to an entrepreneur he's selling his business because he hates his business you think oh he's in business for himself but he hates what he's doing now so it doesn't have to be just i hate this job i spent some time with Dr. Hallowell two weeks ago. And one of the things he said, you know, so why, do, why do you think people do go into entrepreneurship? He goes, well, first of all, a lot of people get fired. So they have to open up
1: their own business. <laughs> that is uh, well, I, I got laid off from my job, which is why I started my, my business. Yeah. yeah, absolutely.
0: It could be that, or speaking in terms of entrepreneurship, maybe we move a little faster than the corporate structure allows us to. We have ideas that nobody's listening to, or they have to go through levels and levels of management. So again, a good chunk of people that have decided they want to talk to me are entrepreneurs again. But I realize that isn't for everybody. So I think it's a fascinating topic, and again, it could be simple as one page: is make a list of what you're good at, make a list not what you're not good at. But I think I think it runs
1: it runs deeper than that. So now, is part of your research on this book to explore to help people who are. Also sort of uh sort of with the mindset stuff, like what do you do when you like, well, I don't know what I'm good at, you know, those kinds of things.
0: Yeah, then they have to I'm talking to a couple of people who are actually currently in the process of deciding what they want to do. Yeah. So that's fascinating. I've written a little bit of the book already, and I just wrote in the book that I'm actually kind of going through this journey with the reader together because you know, I, I wrote one book, I'm writing another book. I've actually got another one planned as well. I don't know where I'm going to
1: wait. There's a third book.
0: When did this happen? <laughs> there's, a, there's a third book that I actually might try and get out before the second book. if oh, yeah. <laughs> So with the, um, you know, I'm starting to, to talk to people. I just got an email this morning from a guy who said, and I've actually had several of these emails where can you come in and teach my company the non ADHD version of what you learned from the people in your book, because I think people have said that I think I can learn a lot from somebody who has an incredibly difficult time focusing. And if they can do it yep. then my team can do it. Yep. So that's why I say I'm kind of going through this journey together with the reader over maybe the next year or two, as I, as, you know, maybe will I shut down my business? I don't know. Will it be a hybrid of my business? But I'm in that same situation as I, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, is public relations isn't what it used to be. And, you know, I'm admittedly frustrated a little bit. You, you get to the point where you're managing people's social media accounts. It's, it's not what I signed up for. Sure. So but we're, we're all going through this journey together.
1: Hmm. So what you were just talking about, you know, so many times where I've given presentations on productivity, I almost every time someone comes up to me afterwards and says, "You got to present this stuff to like in, in the corporate environment because like they need to hear this stuff." And I'm like, "Great! Like get me in there, right?" So if you're sure. if, if you're listening, um, you know, I'm I'm, I'm for hire. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean. <laughs> You could get both of us. <laughs> there you go. We can could, could work something out. Absolutely. Because it's true, though, because when we think about what, you know, when we understand the productivity from the level of the brain, I mean, that's so we're dealing with, with in, in some ways, in many ways, ADHD is a is a brain based disorder that impacts our ability to be productive. Right. Yeah. Because it impacts our executive system of our brain. So if we could figure out how to get get stuff done, right? Imagine what people can do whose executive functions do work in the way they're kind of supposed to.
0: No, and they found they found a workaround. And again, it it could go back to your personal life. I think it's more than just, I, I hesitate to say this. I don't want to make fun of anybody, but I think there probably are a lot of corporate speakers out there that teach time management and they teach these techniques on how to manage your day in the office or your cubicle versus why you're not being productive? You know why you're not getting these things done, and and how can we uh, help normal folks with what we've learned? So I think there's something to be to be said about that. Why are you listening to an ADHD kid?
1: <laughs> because. <laughs> Because I know things. (laughs) Right. It's like we can all learn from each other. You know, a lot of the things I have learned outside the world of ADHD. Right. And then I adapt it uh, with the understanding of what I need and what my clients need. You know, stuff like, you know, David Allen's getting things done. Like there's a lot of really good principles in there. Things like don't keep thinking, even if you can't remember it. Don't try to remember it. Like get it out of your head. That's a mm-hmm. really good principle because it it that's a really draining thing for our brain to do to try to just keep lists in our head. Um, the the idea of, of going back and viewing your lists on a regular basis. You know, I think that there's some other pieces on on his uh, system that I think aren't as ADHD friendly because I think there's some it infers intact working memory in in some areas, but it's like figure out. What's out there and adapt it to figure out what works for you. Because everyone's going to be, I think, unique in what specifically works for them. You know, that like you were saying at the top of the show, they like, you know, it's you use a legal pad, you know? And it's like, I was wondering, hmm, are there people that are wondering, well, what color legal pad should I use, David? <laughs> 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 it's like, the, what's the perfect app? It's like, I don't, it doesn't matter. If it doesn't matter. A
0: yellow legal pad and your pile on your desk, then get yellow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what you've got to do. But I'm a pen and paper guy. I've tried to use all these electronic apps, and I've tried to put my to-do list in Outlook so it bings, and it just, it, it just, paper and pen works for me. And, right. and every Friday, I do a mind dump every Friday before I get out of the office, because your legal pad gets messy. And I rewrite it. You know, I have a, like those leather binders where, you know, I go a legal pad on one side mm-hmm. and the other. And then I have these little tiny legal pads mm-hmm. for the urgent things that I know needs to get today. But then I have a running list on the regular size legal pad of what needs to get done. It works for me. When I was at Special Olympics, I had, a, my, I had my own office and I had a wall and I had a clipboard for every project mm-hmm. and hanging on it was a legal pad. And I used a Sharpie. And I got more done than
1: than half the office combined. Because you don't have me to spend time to like, well, where did I put that thing? It just, it's right there. You narrowed it down to one step. It's like stand up, reach for clipboard. Yeah,
0: yeah. now right? some people love Evernote and they love the technology mm-hmm. and they love to geek out and they love all the binging and everything else on their phone. Fine, who am I to tell you what works and what doesn't? That's what works for me. Keep it simple.
1: So what else? What, what else do you want to share with listeners?
0: You know, we talked about why the entrepreneur? And I think I again just I found some incredible stories of what people had in common. They all had a drive. They all wanted to be successful. No one I interviewed. Well, why would you call me to be in a book if you didn't have drives, But they all had drive. They all wanted to be successful. We talked about some of them had a, maybe a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. They had something to prove that they maybe went back to the report cards or or what have you. You know, my father. I never interviewed my father for this book. I kicked myself afterwards because, like I said, my mother passed away 12 years ago. And I didn't know him that well. But her father was over the house once. I think I was four, maybe five years old. This is probably the time where everything was starting to click with them. And I was apparently tearing the house apart and ripping the walls down and screaming and running back and forth. And my grandfather, my mother's side, looks at my mother and said, that kid will never amount to anything. And my father told me this after I submitted the book and we were, well, I'm like, I'm like, that's powerful. I mean, how many other people with ADHD might have heard that message or, or a similar message that you're never going to amount to anything, you're never going to keep a job, you're never going to... And I think the people in, in the book heard that message loud and clear and said, you know what, I'm going to be successful. I don't care what it takes. I don't care if I have 10 careers. I'm going to do it. But I just thought that was just... And that was, again, I grew up in 66. So that was the era where, you know, when you saw a kid ripping apart a restaurant or flipping a plate over or, or the kid in your elementary school that was flipping the desk over and he was only angry because he couldn't learn the way he was being taught, that message wasn't received that maybe something's, maybe something's different there. You know, this is another thing Brene Brown talked about, but I actually found out in the book is that I think the people in the book figured out a way to belong versus fit in—that's something yeah. she writes about as well. That they didn't—they got fed up trying to to fit in, and they decided that they needed to find a place where they could belong. And it's the ADD world.
1: Right? It's, it's amazing. Like the ADHD community is such an incredible place to be. Like I, I feel so fortunate that I get to to facilitate these groups and and have this podcast and this this community because it's like I get to be myself, and there's like. I'm not very good at being anybody but myself, right? Like, you know, I I could be in a a group coaching session and I can just forget somebody's name. I, you know, I know things about that person, but I, I can't think of their name because that's just my brain just does that to me. And it's like, am I a little embarrassed? Sure, I'm a little embarrassed, but I'm not ashamed though because everyone's like, oh, it's so good to see somebody else do that too, you know. And it's it's that me too. It's and that's so powerful. You know, it's that, oh, yeah. that idea of masquerading as normal day after day is, is exhausting.
0: Oh, yeah. You want to talk about a shameful moment. I, I wrote this in the book. I, w- I went to work for Special Olympics. It was the best job I could have ever had. I met so many incredible people. But, you know, not to be braggadocious, but I was good at what I did. And I got tapped to do national projects. And actually, at some point, international projects. I worked on World Games and China and all these other incredible events. But I got tapped to do a 40-city tour with the gymnasts that came back from the Sydney Olympics and they partnered with Special Olympics. And they they did like a five or 10 routine in each city. I was tapped to handle all the public relations. So I'm out in Vegas and we're kicking off the the, the, uh, the tour, the 40 city tour and you know, uh, ABC sports is there. And, and all these, these gymnasts you watched as a kid and you're like, oh my God. And your brain is just, you're so excited. Not that I'm a gymnastics fan, but still you're just kind of an awe. One of the coaches was from Massachusetts and probably not more than 45 minutes from my house. And we talked for like 15 minutes about Massachusetts. And then I went over and we were doing an interview with ABC sports and uh, she goes, Oh, where are you from? I said, Boston. She goes, Oh, well, Pete or whatever his name is from Boston. I go back over and I said, Oh, so-and-so from ABC says you're from Massachusetts. And he says, we just talked for like a half hour about this. You talk about just putting your head down and, and walking away And
1: I'm like I mean Is this shame Or is this I'm, Oh I'm, man. So you like just You just had the conversation Like that you already just had And you like forgot that you had it Like I forgot
0: I had it And it, I walked all the way across the stadium And started talking to this guy And said hey I'm Dave from Massachusetts um, I, I'm like Wow <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for sharing that <laughs> I, I love when I hear something like that And it's like oh yes I'm not the only one That has done something like that I just, there was so much adrenaline and
0: dopamine. And I was, you know, here's a kid who flunked out of welding school and now he's on the national sports stage dealing with all these people and working this major event. And I think it just, dopamine was just, coming out of my ears <laughs> and I actually couldn't focus <laughs> it backfired.
1: Thank you so much for uh, coming on. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, you didn't say that. What was the third book that you said you're, you're thinking about sort of putting in front of the second book?
0: <laughs> the third book is it kind of goes on the theme of the second book, but it's profiling other people that might've had other disabilities, whether it's okay. a intellectual disability or an acquired disability and I want to take the same process and I want to find out what makes them tick and I want to find out what gets them up in the morning and what makes them so positive and and explore their values. Because I, as I mentioned, I I think there's no better place to, there's so many self-help gurus out there. I'm not, I'm not bashing them you, you have your own thing. Uh, but I think that there's something to be said for when somebody has literally just been on their knees and, and begging for the world to just back off, that you can learn something from people who have, have achieved, whether it's financial success, personal success, have come to terms with who they are and said, okay, I'm a quadriplegic, but this is what God gave me. I want to find out.
1: I did it in graduate school. I did a my thesis uh, was about the idea of the importance of self-awareness, self-advocacy skills, and self-determination for for students with disabilities. What the research has has shown, and this has really uh, been core to my sort of principle as a clinician, is that it's not about the disability that impacts our ability to have you know success and happiness in our life. However, you want to define that. It's having those three things. Like if you have if you are a full self-awareness, if you have self-determination and you have the self-advocacy skills to speak up for what you need, right? Like side by side measurements, you're you look the same as anybody else. Um, it's, so it's not the disability that's the factor, it's those three things. And I think when we understand that's what the research shows and, and this is what you know, you talk to people who have gone through so much stuff because of disability and are successful, like that's what you're going to see. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that message is so important, no matter what your challenge in life is.
0: Yeah, and I will fully admit that, you know, we had the Boston Marathon bombing here a couple of years ago. I will fully admit that if I had lost a leg or a limb, I would probably have a difficult time getting to a place where I could wake up every day and just enjoy life. I think that would probably take me a while personally. Yeah. I want to find out how these people do it.
1: I'll tell you, when, when I was 14 years old, my dad had a brain injury miraculously survived it because any doctor that looks at images of his brain scan is like, how did you live through that? So he had major brain surgery in his brain stem. Uh, it, it changed who he was as a person and, uh, he, and he was he was left with, with pretty significant impairments as a result. It's been a trying journey for him. And I think that's also part of what has influenced my passion for the importance of self-awareness and acceptance because I've seen what happens when you now have an acquired disability and you are continuing to try to do the same things that you used to always do it doesn't work out so well
0: no and i'm the type of guy that wakes up with a sore throat and i'm i'm like oh you gonna be kidding me <laughs> <Same> <laughs> you know Like you ruined my day <laughs> so, i know i'm gonna get over it but it's just like it just gets in the way of yeah you know, or I pull a muscle and i'm like damn it i can't get to the gym or or whatever uh, you know it, it consumes you so yeah. what happens when that's Mm. hundred times your sorrow.
1: Yeah, and, and I do think there's a difference that when you sort of know that something's temporary versus like, okay, like this is this is the new reality, and how how are we going to adjust to this new reality?
0: Yeah, so I have yet to find out from these people, but
1: I will. Well, very, very exciting. David Greenwood, I'm so happy to have you on. Uh, his book, Overcoming Distraction, uh, Thriving with Adult ADD ADHD. It's available anywhere where books are sold, which is basically Amazon. Because, you know, there's very few bookstores anymore. David, I, I think I forgot. I actually saw your book at Barnes & Noble. And it was no. actually facing out sort of on display. And I took a picture of it. I'm, like, I'm going to send it to you. Wow. I don't think I ever sent it to you.
0: Wow, that's great.
1: Did did I send it to you? I don't remember. No, you didn't. I didn't?
0: Okay. Yeah. We're getting some prime real estate there.
1: Do I get any credit for my intention of. of Uh,
0: Sure. Yeah. We're (laughs) awesome. We're good. All right.
1: How can people reach you and uh, find out more about what you're doing?
0: DavidAGreenwood.com. Just go to David A. Make sure you put the A in there. DavidAGreenwood.com. You can find me right there. You can learn more about me, learn about the projects, and you actually are somebody who's enjoyed their career and would like to share your story. Then there's a page on there where you can reach out to me and say, "Hey, I'd, I'd love to be in your next book. We'll have a conversation, see if it's a good fit."
1: Awesome. We will get the link to David's website, so you can reach out to him if you want to participate uh, in his next book. On the show notes, if you're watching this on YouTube, it'll be in the show description or go to the website. This particular episode, it'll be erictivers.com slash whatever episode number this is. Just put the number after the slash. Other podcasters know that stuff ahead of time. Like, that's cool that they do that. Mm -hmm. Good for them. you know what? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you details. Yeah, you know, it's like we get it all there. I still haven't missed a week. So, you know, I'm still going on that.
0: You're better than me. You're better than
1: me. <laughs> all right, David, thank you so much. Take care. Thank you, sir. We'll be chatting soon. This has been Eric Tivers, and I want to thank you for listening, and congratulations. You made it to the end. ADHD Rewired is a more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, Growing and connection. The website is ADHDRewired.com. You can find additional summaries and resources for each episode, learn more about the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group, and sign up for my email newsletter to get exclusive content you won't get anywhere else. It's all at ADHDRewired.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Tivers. You want to see interviews with content not heard on the podcast? Subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube. Don't just be a passive listener. Be an active member of the community. Submit your request to join our free and growing community on Facebook. Watch your message inbox. You will get a message either from myself or Nisha Subramanian. Podcasts change lives. You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Mention it in your online communities on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or wherever you hang out online. And be sure to share it with your friends, family, and clients. If you're a member of Chad or any other ADHD support group, tell them about this show. You can even show them how to download it on their phone. And if you really love this particular episode, please hit share on your podcast player. I'm only one person and I count on you to help me spread the word and get this message out there. One of the biggest things that you really can do to support this podcast and help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash ADHDrewired. Not sure where to start? You could start with Brene Brown's The Gifts of Imperfections or her six-hour recorded workshop, The Power of Vulnerability. If you've already listened to those, then you might want to move on to Daring Greatly or her most recent book, Rising Strong. This is Eric Tivers, and I want to leave you with a question. Do you stay up late to finish work, so you only sleep for five hours, and then the next day you have trouble focusing, so you stay up late to finish work? If so, you might be in the ADHD productivity sleep cycle. Try this instead. Go to sleep, get an accountability partner to check in with about your sleep time. Get more sleep, get more done. Thanks for listening. Until next time.